welcome back to another episode of the Tundra Cast. And today we got another very special guest on with us today on the podcast. Bit of a contrast to the last one, which of course we had Josh Yo, Penguins writer. Today we have Anthony Sanfilippo, who writes for Crossing Broad on the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm going to start it off. So obviously you work at Crossing Broad. How did you start your journey? Like, how did you get there? Well, I've been covering the team. Uh, I've been covering hockey for um, 21 years now. Um, I actually started uh, as a sports writer in Philadelphia um, with the Associated Press. My first assignment was covering the Philadelphia Eagles um, back in the mid- late 90s. Um, they were terrible. It was the, the last year of Ray Rhodes as coach. They were three and thirteen. Um, it was just a really, really just a bad year. Um, but I eventually started to do some freelance work um, for hockey and um, you know for a variety of different outlets. And then um, I was hired by a newspaper. And the, when the job came open for the beat writer at the newspaper, um, I applied for it and said, "Listen," I said you're not going to find anybody else here in the building who can cover hockey. I've already been doing it for four years. Um, and so they basically just gave me the job. And uh, so I was the beat writer uh, at that newspaper, uh, which was the Delaware County Times um, from 2004 uh, through 2012. And then I actually went to work for the team for a couple of years. The team hired me away um, from the from the newspaper. Um, to run their website. And for two years, I was the lead reporter for the Philadelphia Flyers website, philadelphiaflyers.com. Um, uh, after there was a, a merger with uh, the ownership of the the team, the Comcast, I, I, I think you guys know Comcast pretty well. Um, Comcast owns uh, the Flyers, and so they merged with NBC. That's how we end up with now the NBC SN. Um, but when NBC came in, they decided that they didn't need a uh, a separate department for the website. They decided it should be just a function of public relations. So they laid off our our entire department. So I was no longer I was no longer with the Flyers. Um, and then after that, I took like a year off of of covering hockey. And then in 2017. Crossing Broad expanded and decided to uh, add beat writers to their list. And um, they reached out and uh, said, yeah, we'd love to we'd love to bring you on board. Um, you've been covering this team for so long. And I said, sure. And I've been I've been there since 2017. So uh, long journey, um, a lot of hockey in my day. I've been all over all over North America watching the sport. Um, but it's uh, it's been fun. It's, it's a fun journey and it's a fun sport to cover. So do you have any, like, people that, like, were a really big part of what you did when you got to getting here? Um, you know, it's funny. When I broke into the business, I, I, I never went to school for journalism. I was I went to college. I was a theater major, guys. Um, and I, I know, right? Go figure. Um, and I, so I never I never wrote for like the school newspaper. I never took a journalism class. Um, and uh, there's a guy who's um, the national football writer for the Associated Press now. His name is Rob Motti. Um, and Rob and I, I met Rob working at a radio station. Um, and he said to me, he's like, you know, you know a lot about sports. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, uh, you should come work for me at the Associated Press. I said, I've never written anything. He says, ah, you know, just, just write like you're having a conversation with your, your buddies at the bar. 
And so I did. And like not knowing what the what the parameters are for writing, you know, the inverted triangle and everything else, you know, the most important information at the top, least important information at the bottom. I knew none of that. Um, and so I just wrote like I was having a conversation. And it was it was considered at the time, everybody does it now, but at the time it was considered a very unique style of writing. Um, and it, it, it carried me, man. It, it got me through. It got everybody wanted to hire me because I had this unique voice in Philadelphia that nobody else had. Um, and then I was trying to always stay a step ahead. So like I was the first beat reporter to be on Twitter uh, back in 2009. Um, and, and, and then, of course, everybody, everybody else started doing it. And then I started, you know, we try and be creative. We do down days, you know, we came up with, we're doing a show from press row. No one's ever done this before, but we sit there and put a camera on and our, set up our microphones and we do a pregame show and an in-between period show online live that no one else does. And so like, we always try and say, what can we do? What can we always do that be a little bit ahead of everybody else? Um, because you know everybody writes the way I write now, so it's it's not unique anymore. But so I got to find something that I do that's unique. Uh, so I always try and do that. So once everybody starts doing press row shows, I'm going to have to come up with something else new. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have something that you are trying to work on now that you know uh, pushes forward the industry? Now we, we right now. I mean, I think that this is kind of unique. This press row show thing. I mean, no. You know, we offer uh, something that you know between periods, you're usually stuck watching the the you know home broadcast um you know between periods show which unless it's a national game um and i got to imagine that in every city they're, they're pretty terrible right i mean you got some local people just sitting there rehashing the goals and saying the same thing every time you watch and so what we want what we want to do is we offer it as an opportunity you know where we're going to offer some opinion obviously we're down there we're we're at the games and you know we, we talk to the coaches and the players so we're giving some informed opinions but it's more than anything it's it's an opportunity for fans to interact with us and to talk to us and to give us comments and ask us questions and so we make the fans a part of it and i think that that's that interactive in-game experience is something that's not being done anywhere else and and you know, the sooner that that kind of, you know, takes off and people start watching and, you know, we're watching our numbers grow each time we do it. Um, I think that's the thing that's going to eventually catch on. Um, and, and I'm not smart enough to know what the next thing is <laughs> after that, after everybody else starts doing it. Um, but for now, I think this is a pretty cool uh, thing that we tr that we trot out at Crossing Broad. Um, I think Pat's got the next question. Yeah, so uh, as you've probably as you probably know, Carter Hart in the last couple of games he's not been doing so great. Like he's given up, he's given up around fifteen goals in the last four games. Yep. Are there any possible like uh, contributions to uh, or factors uh, that we aren't seeing that is affecting his play? Um, I, I would say first of all, I mean, it, and it's a good question, Pat, because. Um, it, it's really only it's, it's getting national attention in the last several games, but it's actually been something that's been going on most of the season. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that the, the biggest problem that that Carter has faced is, you know, he didn't have a, a, a typical offseason, obviously, because of COVID and everything else. So what ended up happening was he had a shortened like offseason because the playoffs ended in September. And then all of a sudden, here we are, it's December and we're back in camp again. So we only worked for a couple of months back home in, in Alberta. 
And when he was there, he was working with a personal goaltending coach, a guy by the name of Dustin Schwartz. Dustin Schwartz used to be just a um, junior hockey goalie coach, now has been hired by the Edmonton Oilers uh, since then. Um, but he was working out with, uh, with Dustin Schwartz and trying to make a couple of changes um, to his game. And I think that the changes that he worked on this past offseason – were probably not the best ones. And, and you know, that's what's created um, certain spots for teams to be shooting at him. If you, if you watch his games, a lot of the goals he gives up are high glove or just to the short side. He's just slow reacting. He doesn't get over from one from post to post really quick uh, because he's trying like this, this new thing called a spread. Uh, that's something that goalies are, are doing now to try and get, you know, move faster across the blue paint. Um, and he's just not accomplishing that. And so what's end up happening is, is that because the season is so condensed and they're playing basically every other night and they get one practice every two weeks, there really hasn't been an opportunity for him to work on that. That's something that a goalie can't fix in a game. He's got to work on that in practices. So what the Flyers have finally decided to do is like, you know what, we're just going to shut him down for, for a little bit, let him work in practice, let him work with the goalie coach, see if we can't get him back to doing the things that he was doing last year. Um, and if Brian Elliott has to play a few games or even even if Alex Lyon, who's the third string goalie, if he has to get into a game uh, here over the next couple of days, that fine, then so be it. Um, but the, the Flyers really just need to get Carter Hart right because if they if, if they can't get him right, they're not they're not going to be a competitive team. You need to have a goalie that's going at, at the top of his game if you want to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And the Flyers won't be there; they won't even be in the playoffs uh, if Carter Hart can't get his get his act together. Yeah, and you know it's especially important with Carter Hart because you know he's only twenty two. He's got a huge, a really bright future ahead of him. A lot of Vesnas, a lot of people think. So I guess yeah, you're right. They definitely have to get it right. Well, I, I mean, I think I think that the thing with him being so young is, you know, if you go back and look at, at goalies who've had success that he's had um, at this point in their career, um, they've all had this similar like letdown. Um, and you go back and look. I mean, um, Carey Price with the Canadians uh, when he was 22, he was he was a mess. Um, that was in 2010, and he lost the, the starting job to uh, Yaro Halak. And it was Halak who carried the, the Canadians to the Eastern Conference Finals when they lost to the Flyers, who eventually lost to the Blackhawks uh, in the Stanley Cup. Um, but it was Halak, not Price. And Price was the top-end goalie that everyone was talking about, going to be this next great goalie, next great Vezina winner. He had that problem. Um, if I take you guys back to probably before you were born in the 80s, uh, Pelly Lindbergh, what uh, won the Calder Trophy in um, 82-83 as the best rookie in the NHL. In 83-84, his second year as a goalie, he was so bad he got re reassigned to the minor leagues, came back in 84-85 and won the Vezina Trophy. So, I mean, it, it happens. Goalies go through this. and I, So I'm pretty confident with an offseason that Carter Hart will be fine. He'll be normal. He'll get back to what he was. I'm just not certain that it's something that he can fix in time for the Flyers to make the playoffs this year. As we know from the news today, Shane Gossespierre has been putting on waivers. You know, he's yeah. been all right this season and, you know, has taken a step up from the past couple of years. Is this just a cap move or is there something else going on in the background? Well, I think that I think that Gossespierre has kind of um, worn out his time with the Flyers. Uh, he has been better this year, um, but that's, you know, when, when he was as bad as he was last year and, and, and even most of the season before, it, it, it's not that big of a step forward. Um, he's really not 
great in his own end defensively. He's not been a very good defensive defenseman. So unless he's really contributing a lot offensively to cover up for, you know, the mistakes that go on in the defensive end, um, he's a net negative for them. So I know that uh, GM Chuck Fletcher has tried for much of the past two seasons to trade Gossis Bear and has not been able to do it. Um, just hasn't been able to find that value. Uh, I think what the goal is here is to create some some flexibility um, on the roster. Now, I, I don't think anybody's going to claim him. Look, if 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 somebody does, I mean, I know there's been a report that maybe Florida would be interested. He's originally from that area. They just had Ekblad go down with that ankle injury, um, you know. But I don't know if somebody wants to lock into another two years at four and a half million for Shane Gossespierre. Um, I don't think he he gets claimed. If that's the case, the Flyers now have the ability to kind of maneuver him around. They can put him on the taxi squad. They can send him down to the AHL. It gives them some room to add guys to their roster. Um, so it's more of a of a of a housekeeping kind of move to try and make it so that they can do other things here um, in advance of the trade deadline and then maybe even at the deadline. But uh, if he's claimed, if he's taken. Um, the Flyers will, will will accept that and sit there and say, hey, you know what we got in exchange? We got $4.5 million of cap space the next two years when the salary cap is going to be flat because of COVID. So um, it, I think that they look at that as a win-win situation for them, no, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah, so you mentioned that flat cap. How is that going to affect the Flyers? Well, uh, you know, right now they're in, they're in a better shape than a lot of teams are. Um they're not right up against it. I mean, they're not, they don't have a ton of room, um, but they have a little bit of room. Um, and when you look moving forward, you know, it depends, I think, what happens with the expansion draft next year with, with Seattle. Um, who from the Flyers roster will they take? Uh, will they take a, a bigger contract like a, like a James Van Riemsdyk or a Jake Voracek and really give the Flyers a lot of, of space? Um, or do they take somebody that's, you know, doesn't make nearly as much money? Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see how that that plays out. Um, but I think that the Flyers find themselves probably in, in better position than most teams that want to be competitive. Um, usually the teams that have a lot of cap space are teams that are rebuilding, teams that are you know your Detroits, your Ottawa's, your L.A., uh, the teams that are just trying to start over and, and, and get, you know, they won't be good for another few years. Um, the Flyers tend to be one of those teams that, you know, are in the middle – trying to get into that next group who can compete for the Stanley Cup. And if they have that room and, and have some some space to add some talent that will be available either through trade or through free agency, I think that they'll they'll be in better shape than uh, than most teams would next year. Okay, so you mentioned about Ghost and Florida making a lot of sense. So mm -hmm. let's let's say he doesn't. Let's say he gets claimed, but he doesn't go there. Where do you think he goes? There's not a lot of places that I think really make sense. I mean, Boston's another one. I know that they're kind of looking for a defenseman. Uh, Chicago is looking for a defenseman. But um, I, I don't know that, you know, Boston, I think that they've seen enough of him playing against him this year, right? Um, that maybe that they'll sit there and say, yeah, maybe we can go in another direction. Um he does add, I mean, if you need to bolster the power play, he helps. He's The things he does really well is he keeps the puck in at the point. He's got a big slap shot uh, from, from, from up there. Um, 
Uh, he's willing to jump up into the play, uh, especially along the half wall. Um, he's not afraid to throw the puck in front of the net, you know, and, and create havoc. Um, so there's some there's some things he does really well, um, but he also doesn't make the smartest decisions. Um, sometimes he, he gets over aggressive and it leads to an odd man rush in the other direction. The Flyers have given up more odd man chances this season than any team in the NHL. Um, and not to say that Shane Gossespierre is responsible for all of them, but he has been responsible for his share. Um, and he also sometimes makes a pass in his own zone that is puts his partner in a bad spot. And so you look at it and say, well, the other guy made the turnover. Yeah, but if, if he would have just gone up the wall with the, with the puck or skated it out himself, you wouldn't have put his partner in that position. So um, those are some of the things that are his negatives. And so it really kind of depends on what team is willing, what they're willing to take. You know, they're saying, okay, well, we'll take a couple of those mistakes because we need the help on the power play and he will help our power play. Um, or are they going to sit there and shy away because, man, come playoff time, you know, every mistake is crucial and, and we can't have this guy making mistakes for us in the, in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think I think those are the teams that make the most sense to me, at least off the top. I mean, the one other option that I guess nobody's really talking about is you look at a team like Detroit, for example, who's got a ton of cap space. They're kind of rebuilding. And maybe they look at it and say, hey, you know, we'll we'll take a chance on this guy, see if he you know, is one of those players who needs just a change of scenery. And then he returns back to being the player he was a couple of years ago. Um and then it, then he's affordable at four and a half million for two years uh, because they have all that room. And then he's part of the rebuild. Um, so I think that's a potential possibility. But I, I don't know. I don't think the Flyers would have put him on waivers if they if they felt that a team was really going to take that contract. Okay. So yeah, you. Oh, sorry. Uh, you mentioned the expansion draft and uh, uh, JVR as one of those big contracts. Um, like you said. I don't think anyone in the Flyers organization would be too mad about that contract being taken, but at the same time, JVR has been having a really good season so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, he's their leading scorer. Um, he's tailed off a little bit here in the last you know week or two, um, but he's really still a very reliable player. He's a smart player, um, and and I'll, I'll be honest, if the Flyers kind of fall out of contention here, and and become a team that has to be a seller at the trade deadline. I wouldn't be surprised if a team took a chance on JVR um, this year and, and not have the Flyers don't have to wait until the the deadline. Um, maybe they'll maybe the Flyers eat a little bit of the salary and you know to get a little better return. Um, but uh, I you know I, I I can't see I mean I can't see JVR being part of the Flyers organization next year. I think this is you know he he's a sell high kind of guy. So I think. They're gonna if they're not contending, if they're gonna be sellers, I think that that's gonna be a guy that they're gonna push out there on people. Um, and if they do, just if they don't sell and they have to wait till the off season, I think that they'll look to move that contract uh, to try and create uh, a little bit more flexibility to to bring in, um, you know, the kind of players that they're gonna need because they're gonna they're gonna need to make some changes on defense, uh, a little bit of depth. Um, yeah, their, their third line is not as good as it could be. Um, so I think that there's going to be some changes that are going to come in those places. And I think if you can find a way to move JVR's contract to help bolster that, it, it would be for the team's benefit. 
So last night in the Flyers, they had a really intense game against the Sabres. They were down 3-0, to zero, and they managed to complete the comeback. Surely the Flyers, it was very, they must have been very nervous because they didn't want to be that team that would lose to the Sabres <laughs> who were on a winless streak. So can you give us some insight on what the atmosphere was like in that game? Yeah, it was. It's kind of crazy, uh, Pat. Because um, I'll tell you that they never thought that they would have to be in that spot um, against that team. The Flyers are a significantly better team than Buffalo, but things have been going so badly for the Flyers that that's kind of what happens, right? I mean, you you find yourself in a bad spot after playing forty minutes of not really caring. And, and the thing of it is, is that if you go back to Saturday, the Sabres played a really good game against the Bruins and almost beat Boston on Saturday. And so the Flyers should have known, like the, the Sabres don't want to be this record-setting team. They don't want to be known as this team that, you know, lost 19 straight games. Um, they want to they stop this. They want to get a win. Um, and so they're at that point of this streak where it's like they're going to play hard. They may not be talented, but they're going to play hard every game. And I think that the Flyers kind of were caught by surprise by that for a couple periods. Um, and and they were not they, they were they weren't happy even after the game when they won, even after winning. They you know they were kind of miserable about you know what just took place. Um, but what took what happened in the third period is Coach Elaine Vigneault, uh shortened a bench. Um, he, he didn't, didn't play three guys. He didn't play Oscar Lindblom, uh, Nolan Patrick or Joel Farabee, who is the leading goal scorer, uh, sat three young players and basically looked at the veterans and said, Hey guys, you told us that this wouldn't happen. You told us the team would respond well, uh, you know, against this Sabres team. We're down three, nothing. It's a must win game. You guys got to go out and do it. And darn if they didn't. Kevin Hayes got that first goal, then Giroux, then Couturier, and then Provorov makes the scores the goal in overtime. So it's like the, the leaders of the team carried them in the third period, but they had to. Because uh, if not, if they would have lost that game last night, they, they would be officially done at this point. Even though they would have only been three points out, you might as well just have packed it in at that point because you cannot lose to this team. And they're going to play the Sabres again tomorrow. And you know the Sabres are going to come out and play hard again tomorrow. I got to think that the Flyers will be a little bit more ready this time. Yeah. But but you never know, guys. You never know. Yep, it's hockey. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned uh, Alain Vigneault. Uh, he obviously had a really I, – I would say that his 2020 was successful last, uh, last mm-hmm. season. So do you think he's built on that somehow, or has it just gone downhill a bit? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put any of this on the coach, really. I mean, I know it's it's easy when things go bad to start pointing fingers, right? Who's to blame for for things going wrong? But if you look at the mistakes that the Flyers are making, they are so egregious. They're so out out of out of left field that you know for a fact this is not the system that is being taught to them by the coaches. Um, I, I highlighted in my in my post on the on Crossing Broad today um, two of the goals that the Sabers scored. And in one of them, they have five guys. All five guys are between the dot and the and the half wall. You can't have five guys on the same side of the ice. <laughs> Somebody's going to be open on the other side. <laughs> they certainly aren't teaching that. The coaches aren't teaching that. And then there was another one that I, I put up where all five guys, um, the defenseman for uh, from Nashville, um, he's got a big term left on his contract. He's got six years left. But I think Nashville is kind of motivated to rebuild at this point. 
and the Flyers, I think, are motivated to spend a little bit uh, to to fix the defense because it's it's they need a, they need to find a partner long term uh, for Ivan Provorov. They can't just keep piecemealing it. Um, so I think that that's the one that that kind of makes the most sense. But I'll tell you another thing. And we talked about Carter Hart earlier. I think that the Flyers are are considering um, trying to add a, another veteran goalie um, just to kind of let Carter take a break shut it down as far as playing in games not worry about playing games but just go, just worry about fixing his mechanics and let Brian Elliott and another veteran like alternate and and kind of be those guys I think somebody like Jonathan Bernier from Detroit makes a lot of sense for them in that regard so those those are kind of the two moves that I think that you're going to see the Flyers kind of go for and I think that they might be moves that they go for whether they're all in or not I think it's I, I think it's enough to say how can we make our team better next year? And still be a competitive team this year, and I think that those those are the moves that would make the most sense. Right. Um. So obviously the Flyers uh, have, like you said, they we all know that they've struggled a lot this year. Uh, we were expecting them to be at the top of their division, somewhere around there. Maybe a lot of them thought top three in the league, that kind of thing. Uh, no. So they obviously have a really good core. Uh, that that they want to be able to build around, uh, but it's starting to get up there in age. So how much, uh, more time do you think this core well, that's will be around? Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, I, so I I'll tell you one thing that I I argue with Philadelphia fans on Twitter all the time is I think that they kind of they kind of missed um they kind of missed where they were supposed to be um with this um. Uh, with this core, I, I think that you know when Ron Hextall was the GM prior to Chuck Fletcher, and he's now with the Penguins. Um, I think that he, you know, he was uh, trying to drag things out a little bit longer and let guys develop a little bit longer. But I think he was missing the best seasons for Giroux and Voracek, um, specifically those two guys. Um, and you know they brought JVR back, and it, it, you know aside from this season, he's he's not a guy. He's on the back end of his career at this point. You know he was drafted in in 07. Um, yeah, Couturier is is your number one guy at this point, um, and that's great. And he's still 26, and so he's still young enough. Um, uh, but even bringing in like a Kevin Hayes, at, you know, last year it was like, okay, this is a vet, more of a veteran leadership group than you would than you would think for a for a team that's got such young talent maybe the young talent isn't as good as they thought they were um ivan provorov is a good really good player maybe he's not a number one maybe he's a number two defenseman right travis sanheim decent defenseman but maybe he's more of a three four and they thought he was going to be a top pair guy uh phil myers took a step back they thought he was going to be more they gave him a big contract uh, in the offseason, and he, he's kind of taken a step back defensively. Um, Nolan Patrick, I know he missed the last two years with his um, uh, his headaches, his, his migraine condition, um, but it's looking more and more likely that that was the wrong pick at number two overall in 2017 um, when guys like Miro Heiskanen and Kale McCarr are uh, as talented as they are at such a young age in, in the NHL. Um, you know, there's obviously there was a bad break with Oscar Lindblom having cancer, you know, and having to beat that and come back, which is an inspirational story. But um, at the same time, it's really been really hard for him to get back to the level he was at before his diagnosis. So there's a lot of guys in that middle ground where you kind of thought they were going to be better and they're not quite what you thought. Of course, we've talked about Carter Hart. He also fits into that mold too. So maybe the group that Hextall drafted 
between 2014 and 2017, there's nine guys in there that are on this roster. Yeah, maybe they're just okay and not next level. And I and and when you have the veterans like Giroux and Vorchek and JVR kind of getting on, starting to be on the downside, maybe that's why it's not lining up properly for the Flyers at this point. So yeah, they they all we've been over that a lot. Uh, their, their struggles. So is it anywhere near the point where they might have to start selling at the deadline? They might. I mean, they might have to. I don't think. It, I don't think it would be an over overly ambitious sell. Um, I think that you know, last I last I was told is is give it a week. Let's see where they're at a week from now because they'll have played Buffalo again. They have a game against the Islanders on Saturday, and then they play two games back to back next week against Boston. And that's that's what I, I keep telling people. That's their Waterloo, right? That's their that's their tipping point. If they can come through these four games and and be in good shape and either be ahead of Boston in the standings or even you know still where they're at now, like a point out or two points out at the worst, they'll pro- they probably won't be sellers. They'll probably continue to be pushing for a playoff spot. Um, but if they fall further back, um, I think then they will sell. And at that point, it's what do you sell? You sell your free, you sell guys who are going to be free agents that you're not going to re-sign, um, and you try and move a contract that maybe is not um, one that will help you going forward. So that's why I think a guy like JVR could be on the on the list at that point if they become sellers. Uh, Scott Lawton, who's an unrestricted free agent after the season, and they didn't haven't offered him a new contract yet. Um, I think that he's a guy that could go. Um, Michael Roffel, if somebody's looking for a depth forward, he could go. Um, even Brian Elliott, who's uh, you know was only signed a one year deal, if somebody's looking for a good veteran backup goaltender, um, he's a guy that could go as well. So I think that there's some players in there, but I don't think it's anything where it's going to be burned down the, the the roster, trade away your best players, and start from scratch. I don't think that's the case. I think it's more about just moving moving pieces that you know won't be here next year. Uh, so the Flyers' uh, power play struggled a lot, and that uh, is Michelle Terrian's job. If I don't, uh, if I, I think yeah, I'm you're right. That. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen a lot on Twitter, on Instagram, things like that. That he's come under a lot of fire. Uh, people say, obviously, like you said, uh, the coaching staff, the 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 mistakes the Flyers have been making are egregious, and that's not what the coaching staff wants at all. But the power play, do you kind of have to put that on Terry in a bit? Yeah, I, I, at least, uh, you know, I would say yes, um, more so earlier in the season than recently. I mean, if you look at the last handful of games, they've actually started to score a little bit. Um, and I think it's because they, they've, they've, they're putting Giroux and Vorchek back out there more on the power play. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, the, you know, you can, you can criticize Giroux and Vorchek for anything and everything, but man, they're two of the better power play players in the NHL. And for a while there, Terrian had them on the second unit, which really didn't make any sense. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I mean, why you would do that. Um, I'm still not in love with the, the the combinations that they have. Like, I would put Giroux, Voracek, Van Riemsdyk, who's, you know, leads the team in power play goals. Um, I would put them out there together with Farabee, who's who's got a, uh, a sniper mentality. Um, and I would have said Gostas Bear if who knows if he's going to be on the roster anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but somebody, somebody at the point who can get a shot through to the net, whether it's Gostas Bear, Provorov, Sandheim, whoever. But that's what I would do. As of right now, they don't really have that together. They they kind of mix and match. Um, 
uh, certain guys, and, and it's you know it's been a little bit better. They're middle of the pack. I think they're fifteenth or sixteenth in the NHL at this point, which is right in the middle. So it's not awful. Um, it was worse prior to the last few weeks, um, and at that point, I was like, man, what just what are they doing? But now I think that maybe you know getting getting Giroux and Vorchek more ice time on the power play, you're starting to realize that those have got to be the guys that drive that ship. And as long as they're out there, I think that they'll at least be, um, you know, league average, if not a little bit better than league average, uh, with that team, with that those that pairing on the ice. So over the uh, off season, the NHL announced these new divisions, and with those new divisions, do you like? There's been mixed reactions with them. People seem to love them. People seem to hate them. What are your opinion on them? I I think that they did what they had to do. Um, I mean, obviously, you had to have all the Canadian teams together for COVID purposes. So it really came down to how were you going to divide the remaining uh, 24 teams in the U.S. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I just would have I would I would have thought that. That it made more sense to keep Carolina with Washington um, than it would have been to you know throw another like a Buffalo or a Boston in. I I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, I just I guess they had to do did what they had to do. I just would have rather that they you know kept the East Coast teams just to the East Coast. You know, I, I would have liked to see. Tampa and Florida, although they're both really good, it would have probably been worse for the Flyers if it turned out that way. Um, but in the division, rather than Buffalo, like Buffalo, to me, they're further west, even though not a lot, but they're further west than, than uh, a lot of the teams that the Flyers play. They should have been in that that uh, that division with you know Columbus and 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 all and, Detroit, and all those guys. Um, I, yeah, it's a, they're okay. I don't think that they're going to last. I think we're going to, you know, that's obviously going to go back to what it was before or something close to what it was before. But, you know, I, I, I think the NHL has done a nice job dealing with COVID, starting with the bubble last year. And they've had a lot of problems this year with, you know, teams having to go on pause. Flyers, of course, were one of them. Um, and they've done about as good a job as they could rescheduling as many games as they've had to reschedule this year and still be able to get it all in within the same time frame. Um, I think they only extended the season like two or three days beyond where it was originally just to get these games in. And it looks like that they're going to be able to make it happen um, and still get the playoffs done and, you know, in time for the Olympics to start in July. So um, I, I give them, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't love the divisions. I don't hate them. Um, I think a couple of teams are going to get, uh, you know, a pa- an easier path to the to the semifinals than they might have had before. I don't think that Canadian division is all that good. Um, so I think a team like Toronto or or Winnipeg um, might actually reach the final four a little bit undeservingly because the other divisions are so much tougher. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I can't fault them for putting together the divisions the way they did. So. Speaking about the NHL in general, who or what has been the biggest surprise to you? The Blackhawks. It, there's no, there's no doubt that Chicago has been the biggest surprise, and and maybe we should have saw it coming because of how well they played um, in the bubble, right? I mean, um, you know, they they were they were a pretty solid team, competitive and pretty competitive in the bubble. Maybe you know th- they were a lot closer than a lot of people thought. 
uh, to getting it, getting it turned around. I mean, there were so many people who were saying last year that maybe they should just blow it up. Maybe they should look to, you know, find a new home for guys like Taves and Kane and, and the like. And it's like, you know what? Yeah. They, they've kind of gotten this, gotten this thing turned, turned around pretty well. I, I got to give them a lot of credit. So I think, I think they're the surprise team as far as being good um, in, uh, in the NHL this year. Um, I got to tell you, though, what happened as far as the other way, if you look in the other direction, you know, I know we talked about Buffalo earlier. Man, they were a team that thought they were going to compete. Yeah. I mean, they went out and signed yeah. They went out and signed Taylor Hall, right? And they had veterans like Eric Stahl, uh, who has now been traded to Montreal. You had Jack Eichel, who's one of the top young players in the, in the league. Um, you know, they they built a, a defense and and they thought that they had the the right goalies in place and in the you know, they, they really liked their coach, and then they just went into total freefall, and were have been have been an embarrassment. And so I think that they're the biggest surprise the other way because they were kind of like a sexy pick to be a playoff team. Um, or compete for a playoff spot, and it turns out that they're the worst team in hockey. So, uh, I look at I look at it. And I'll say Chicago is probably the biggest surprise one way. Um, and although the Flyers fans would be mad at me for not saying Flyers are the most disappointing team, uh, I think Buffalo ends up being a little bit more disappointing. Tough crowd in Philly, huh? <laughs> <laughs> please, please. I feel like I have to take a shower after every game because. Of, uh, <laughs> My, my, inter- my interactions on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Twitter, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, obviously, we're still on the topic of just the general NHL. Do you have a cup favorite just at this point? <sighs> you know, at the beginning of the year, um, I you know, when you put your predictions out, um I, I thought Colorado was the team that was poised to be, you know, the next team to make that make that deep run, um, and I still think that they could. I, I still think that they're a really quality team that that could do it. But man, Vegas has impressed me a lot. Vegas looks really, really good. I don't know if any team can beat them in a seven game series. Um, so I, I would have to say Vegas is my favorite to go. Um, it, we don't know how they're going to match up in the semifinals right because it's going to be based off of your regular season record so it's not like two divisions and then two there's no conferences this year um so you know you could end up playing um you know two traditional western conference teams could end up playing in the final um or or two traditional eastern conference teams for that matter uh you know washington has has been a little bit of a surprise to me in the sense that i mean i knew they were going to be good but they've been better than I thought they were going to be. I thought that they were going to take a little bit of a hit on the on the blue line, um, but they haven't. Um, and, and you know they're having a really good year with Ovi just being okay. You know, right? if you look at Ovechkin's numbers, he's not at the top of the top of the league, right? He's kind of in the middle of the pack at this point. And they're still you know the best team in the division record wise. So they've surprised me a little bit um, in that regard. So I'm, I'm going to tell you that I think that your Stanley Cup final is Vegas and Washington with Vegas coming out on top. What other teams do you like enjoy watching other than the Flyers? Well, I've always, I, I, you know, I, and maybe this is part of, you know, my relationship with Craig Berube, but I love watching the, the way the Blues play. It's just a little bit more of an old school game. Um, I kind of miss that kind of style. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys rem- remember it at all, but I mean, man, when I when I was watching hockey growing up, 
Um, yeah, it, it was it was a harder game to play, but it was more fun. It was more physical. And I don't mean fighting. I mean, yes, yes, there was fighting, but that's not what I mean by physical. I mean that the game was physical. Um, it wasn't just about poking pucks off of sticks. It was about you took the guy and you rode him into the boards, and that's how you got that's how you got the puck back, right? So the game was to me the game was better that way than it is now. Um, and I know people say, "Oh man, you're just an old fuddy duddy" when you say stuff like that. But <laughs> but the truth. But I mean, seriously, I mean, that, I mean that that's the game that I remember. And there's very few teams that play that way. I, you know, so the Blues are certainly one. Because he's, a, you know, Baruby's a throwback kind of coach. I think Boston plays that way a little bit. Um, maybe not as much this year as they did last year, um, but I, I, you know, so I like watching Boston play that way uh, as well. Um, but boy, you know, it, again, I mean, how can you not enjoy watching Vegas the way they play? I mean, they're they're just they're just a legit puck possession team. You can't take them, take the puck away from them. They're dangerous every time they have it on their stick. Um, so, you know, when you watch, you look at that and you say, that's in today's game, that's the best talent. And it's, and you always want to watch the best talent. Um, and individually, you know, the best talent's going to be your Connor McDavid's right of the world. Um, but at the same time, when you want to watch the best team talent in today's game, it's Vegas, and I don't think I don't think it's close. I mean, Tampa, I guess, is probably the closest uh, to them. But you know, they're they're having a little bit of a championship hangover. Not much. They're still really good, um, but uh, they got some they got some competition in that division this year. Um, Carolina and 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 uh, Florida are both hungry. I mean, Ekblad getting hurt hurts Florida's chances a lot. But I'll tell you, I think Carolina is a team that could. Uh, could make some noise too. I, that was the other team I was debating between them and Washington uh, as to who would be in the final against Vegas. Um, I think Carolina's got a real chance too. I just, I just like the the veteran players on Washington just a little bit more than the than the upstarts in Carolina. So that's why I picked the Caps. But I mean, so they're they're a fun team to watch too. Again, coached by a former Flyer and Rod Brindamore. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, th- those are the teams that I that I kind of like watching when I'm not watching the Flyers play hockey. Um, one of the like you mentioned before, you like the like toughness game, like the bit of uh, rock'em sock'em. Uh, I think it's kind of gotten back to that a bit this year more than others. I don't know if it's because of the hate more between the teams because they're playing so much against each other. Do you think that or? Um, I do think that you got a little bit of it. Um, I, I I think you get a little bit more animosity. Um, and you get a little bit more after the whistle stuff that's yeah. happening now. Um, I just don't think that the game is played the same way, and I yeah. think that that's what that's where I, I think it's that's where I think it's lacking. So yeah, it's fun. You know, the whistles blow, and you see guys pushing and shoving each other, and you know, a couple couple punches are thrown, and you see people are cursing at each other, and that's fun too, right? I mean, that's part of hockey, the hockey lure as well. I just think in game, it's not. It's more cheap shots, and I hate the fact that there's cheap shots in hockey. I think it just used to be you, you make a really good, solid hockey hit, and that was the way the game was played. And that's – I'm telling you, when the, when it's, when that, when the game was played that way, it was more exciting. It was more um, edge of your seat because you anticipated the hits as much as you anticipated – the, the shots and the goals. So it, it really kept you engrossed in the game. Now I find there are times where the game just kind of, kind of skates by, right? Like, it, like nobody's scoring and it's just kind of like, okay, so what's happening? Like, why is nothing <laughs> happening? Right. So the, like it, it kind of, it's like hypnotic in a lot of ways back then you, you always, you had some, even if the teams weren't scoring, 
something might happen on the ice, which is which was really cool. Um, and so that's why I, you know, and again, it's my generation. Of course, I'm going to say that, but at the same time, I wish that younger the younger generation of fans got to see hockey played that way. I think they would probably appreciate it a little bit more. All right, so we've been going for a pretty decent amount of time now. I just wanted to end it off on obviously Oscar Lindbaum. Uh, he had such an amazing story journey back from when he obviously got cancer. How much did the uh, Philadelphia team, Philadelphia fan base in general, rally around that? It was awesome. It was awesome, and I really wish he would have had an opportunity to return in front of real fan, like a real yeah crowd i mean when you know we had the first game with fans uh, earlier this month and i think there was 2800 people uh, at the wells fargo center you know they gave him a nice applause and you know he skated around and waved his hand and stuff and that, and that was nice and you know you give them credit for trying but there's just nothing like the roar of a standing ovation crowd that would have probably gone on for you know, five, six minutes that would have been really just something to, to take in. And maybe that'll happen eventually. Maybe maybe once we're allowed to be back at full capacity crowds again in, in the fall or winter, um, it'll, it'll happen for Oscar again. But uh, I'll tell you, last year when we first found out and, you know, we were all kind of taken aback and shocked, and he's such a good kid, um, always, always available to talk to the media and, and always has something good to say. So we root, were obviously rooting hard for him. And then the Oscar Strong T-shirts came out and everybody had something purple um, that said, uh, you know, I am Oscar Strong or we are Oscar Strong. And it was it just kind of took over the city. And so it was really, really kind of cool thing. And then, of course, he comes back in the playoffs last year. You know, he beats cancer in six months, and he's able to come back and, and play two playoff games. Um, just really was was an unreal scenario. I know he didn't win the um, Masterton Award last year. Uh, he was a finalist. I have to think he's going to be a finalist again this year. I have to think that, you know, when, when you look at it and say, not only did he come back and come back from cancer but he came back from cancer and played a full season the next season right yeah. i mean and, and he's still beating it he's still you know his latest diagnosis is he you know he's still cancer free so like he's still beating cancer and playing a full season i think that he's going to be a candidate for the masterton again i think he'll be a finalist for the masterton again and i really would would be surprised if he doesn't finally win it this year so it's just been a it's been a great story it's the one kind of bright spot that kind of exists in, in this otherwise uh kind of crazy crazy miserable flyer season yep all right, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, did you have any closing thoughts before we left it off here? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I appreciate you guys reaching out to me um, to talk Flyers. I'm, I always love talking about this team. It's like I said, it's it's been 21 years of covering them, and uh, you know, I wouldn't have done it this long or keep, continue to do it if I didn't enjoy it and I didn't enjoy talking about it. And So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to have me on your podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Anthony. Yeah, thank you, guys. For everyone watching, we also have a live stream for the trade deadline. So I hope you guys all come along, and I hope you guys enjoy episode 19 of the TundraCast. <laughs>